Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This word in your ear is brought to you thanks to NordVPN. VPN stands for Virtual Private Network, which is a way to keep your data safe on the internet whenever you're logging in, either at home or abroad. VPN protects your identity and encrypts your data so that nobody can steal that identity. And at the same time, it enables you to access the internet via servers in more than 50 different countries. This means you can often sidestep region restrictions and stream movies and TV programs from all around the world. Because the truth about streaming is the film you want to see is always streaming in another country. In my recent travels on NordVPN, I've been in South Korea, where the top-rating TV show is The Iron Squad, which involves teams made up of special forces troops competing with each other in a military survival program. I've been in Turkey, where they can't get enough of a young couple from Essex called David and Victoria, and also in Spain, where for some inexplicable reason, it remains possible to watch David Niven in the 1954 war film Carrington VC. Now, you may be strong enough to resist sinking into a sofa with that as the nights begin to draw in, but I am certainly not. So you can take advantage of a deal where you can try NordVPN by going to nordvpn.com slash your ear or just use the code your ear to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan and one additional month for free and a bonus gift. It's risk-free because there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. Full details in the show notes. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Welcome to another Word in Your Ear. Now, the most fascinating part of uh, many band stories is the bit before they have any real success, which makes pulp a rich seam because (laughs) it took them 15 years. (laughs) And uh, Nick Banks was there for seven of those years after what I think you could call a classic sliding doors moment when he saw a note pinned on a wall by his favourite Sheffield band, which simply said, Pulp want drummer, call Russell or Jarvis. And the peaks and troughs of what happened next are contained in this really excellent book. It's called So It Started There, From Punk to Pulp by Nick Banks. Nick, it's lovely to see you. 
Hello. Thanks for joining us. And uh, you must be so pleased. It's been it's been really well received, hasn't it? The book. Yeah, it has. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you don't really know how these things are going to, you know, go down. You just sort of, I don't know, you, like, like in, in music terms, you do it and just hope that people like it, and then they do, and you think. Great. I'm really glad I did it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's brilliant. There's a, we'll get on to the group later, but there's just so much about growing up in Sheffield and, uh, oh. you know, your experience of all the little tribes and the gangs you joined. And uh, did Sheffield have any kind of identity, musical identity? This is before, obviously, uh, Human League and uh, yeah. ABC and all that. You know, what was the identity of Sheffield at the well, time? I, when you? I, I think really is the, the fact that you don't know is the sort of the... The main thing is because uh, we were all, you know, very young, uh, sort of late to the party punk rockers. And, you know, you don't really have any inkling of what's going on. Sheffield didn't, from my knowledge, have uh, many particular punk groups that were at the forefront of the, the sort of the nascent movement. And, uh, and certainly rather than where I sort of spent my first 18 years, certainly had even less. And and so you're just sort of bumbling along, um, trying to work out, you know, uh, who is going to uh, or which tribe is going to claim you. Uh, and I suppose punk rock came along very late to the day in, in sort of uh, Rotherham Sheffield for my my eyes. You know, we didn't didn't come to our school class until about 1978, which I'm sure for most people was kind of you know the actual first wave of punk was well gone. A new wave was was certainly much more to the fore. Uh, but we didn't know anything about that. We were just, you know, spotty, greasy-haired youths who knew nothing, you know. Um, but you sort of, you, you, you got yourself out there, you know, we, we formed a, a punk band at school uh, and stuff like that, and you sort of get out into Sheffield because the bright lights of Sheffield seemed so alluring, this sort of, you know, mythical city out there. Because <laughs> Rather than the backwater when it comes yeah. to, you know, uh, uh, new music movements, really, or so I thought. But yeah. uh, Describe that, because it's a major conversion. Because before that, you were a kind of ELO, kind of prog yeah. queen type person. That's and suddenly right. it's punk rock, mostly about Johnny Rotten, in fact. So what, what, was, the, yeah. what was the impact? of Describe what, how that well, it, it impressed you. Uh, yeah, when you've grown up, school being out sort of, I don't know, 13 or so, you, you, music's starting to, you know, loom on the horizon and you're sort of seeing kids who sort of had older brothers who had you know, money for records would, would sort of you know, be around and they'd be sewing badges onto the back of their jackets and scrolling stuff on their school books. And a lot of it would be heavy metal or prog rock or sort of, you know, disco types. You know, they might have been the odd outliers into Roxy Music and Bowie and stuff like that, but they were outliers, you know, they were very few and far between. And of course you want a, um, you want your music movement to choose you by being something new and exciting. And all the records that, people who bring to school, bear in mind, we couldn't play them. They just brought them. And on your arm. That's right. You know, and they were like, wow, this is punk stuff. You know, and, and a, a, a couple of more advanced kids went to a punk gig in, in Sheffield uh, by the skids and came back with such tales of this most incredible moments they had and the chaos and the excitement and the, just the adrenaline that was going off. just like, everyone was like, whoa. This is what we need to need to get into. So a little bit like Harry Potter's sorting hat, it sort of chose us, you know. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, that sort of, I suppose it was the, the Johnny Rotten sorting leather jacket was placed upon. <laughs> you were like the UK subs. <laughs> so I, I, I was very touched by the, you got wonderful pictures. I, yeah, I think it's your first band, isn't it? Uh, yeah. From 1980. The name is just wonderful. Tell everybody the name. Well, uh, we, we, we chose a band, we chose to, to become a punk band, and after much deliberation and uh, you know chipping in of others, uh, we settled on the name Fatal Noise. <laughs> Yes. Now, so, we're, so you're about 14 at the time. Like, is that fatal noise? Yeah, you know, it's, it's... Survive this if you can. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Um, for years, I thought it was a really rubbish name. Oh, God, fatal noise. Well, absolute rubbish. But um, now I think it's a great punk rock name. But, and it, it is. Was, and an and utter cliche that, you know, you sort of sat around the school desk and everyone says, right, those buggers across the other side of the, of the classroom, they formed a punk band and they've, we reportedly, they know Accord. So <laughs> we need to form a That's punk all you band. need. We, exactly. We need to form a punk band, this ad. And so we made that conceptual leap from just being youth sat around a school table to being youths in a band sat around. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We didn't have any ta- talent, any musical instruments, any knowledge, anything at all. But you had a name. That's the thing. You were, yeah. yeah. Eventually, you were, uh, you were a gang. Everyone would walk past and go, what are you calling your band? You go, oh, we don't know. Don't know. And eventually, Fatal Noise came out. And oh, let me just, sh- I'll show you something. Wait a second. All right. Oh, <laughs> some Fatal Noise merchandise. <laughs> Unsold. <laughs> Inexplicably. I'll be here somewhere. That disappeared. You was usually quite with a thought. I've got my cassette somewhere. Oh right. Oh brilliant. Yeah. Oh, right. But, but you, you can access it in the book anyway, because of the uh, of the special QR codes. But I thought it might have been to hand. I should have done my homework. But uh, and you were right. very moved by Kings of the Wild Frontier by Adam and the Ants, weren't you? I thought it was interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. You, you sort of you look back, you know, from this from the distance of your mid fifties, uh, and you realise that those sort of early early times when music really kind of reaches in and grabs you and does something to your insides is so, so very important. And I suppose as we advance through our years, that happens less and less. But when you're sort of 14, 15, 16, up to maybe about 20, so many records reach in and do that sort of magical thing inside you and you sort of realise that this is fantastic stuff and... uh you know, okay, the, the first band I was in, Fatal Noise, fizzled out when people went and got real jobs and weren't at school anymore. But you thought, I want to keep doing this because I, to be able to make some music that does that to your insides or to be able to produce a concert where everyone's going mental would be absolutely fantastic. So I kind of stuck at it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Sheffield was obviously very experimental. It was a group called Inner Bell Jar, who I think made their own instruments out of wood or something because yeah, right? yeah, um I, I sort of almost by default i ended up uh being a uh, gig promoter at this pub yeah. on west street which which was sort of uh in the 80s a mythical status where all the bands played uh before they kind of got any talent really and uh, it was just a room above a pub and um 
me and my girlfriend at the time, we ended up sort of sat at the door with a with an ashtray in front of us where people put the 50p and go in. And our favourite band that, that we put on was called Inner Bell Jar. And like you say, they basically manufactured all their own instruments. So and even their own microphone stands were, were you know, sticks of wood with a bit of a bigger piece of wood stuck on the bottom and, and just a, a very rudimentary wooden clip. And um, they'd put sort of curtains all around the stage and and all this kind of stuff and, and bash big big cans to make some rudimentary music with sort of uh, very interesting Sheffield-based or interesting lyrics over the top. And we absolutely... And they looked way out as well. Yeah, they're absolutely... Which is, a, which is the perfect kind of art rock crucible for Pulp, really. And I think you yeah. saw Pulp in... Uh, first saw them in 1982. Now, describe what, what they looked like, as a, the, the, their stage act and what yeah, Jarvis well, was like. Well, I think because uh, Jarvis was involved with the inner bell jar on a sort of peripheral basis, but um, we're, we'd heard about this 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 band called Pulp, and um, they were playing at a, a concert in the Crucible, not the big Crucible where they play the snooker, not the but snooker the, one. the little hall next door, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So so we went along, and you know I shouldn't have liked Pulp's music. In the slightest, because I would have been, been there, sort of leather trousers, leather jacket, you know, Bundeswehr vest with this eagle on the front and this ridiculous black bird's nest hairdo. Um, and so so I went along and we were absolutely blown away and mesmerised by this sort of fey acoustic music that was going on with this mesmerising singer at the front, the, this bespectacled lanky get with an unru- again an unruly sort of hairdo but you couldn't take your you couldn't take your eyes from him it was absolutely electric and and you just wondered about it but then the music was so uh you know light and it was there was acoustic guitars trombones pianos tinkling away they had backing singers i mean for a sort of a, a local band a very yes. local yeah that's level. that's that's a different league isn't it this was incredible. So, you know, a killing joke, it was not. No. Also, it implies a degree of devotion because you're not getting paid, are you? I mean, this is just people doing it for love, really. Yeah, exactly. And so, and also, as well as having backing singers, they would have had um, a string all over the stage. And it, I mean, it sounds rubbish, but it looked amazing. With orange fish sellotaped to the string. So it was of all course. over the stage like this. I think they were trying to go for pulp under the sea. Right. Perhaps you know, in a homemade style. So, uh, you know, and to do all that kind of stuff was, was absolutely amazing. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I had bumped into Jarvis a, a few months before because we'd been putting the bands on. And these two lads would come up the, the stairs to go to the gig ostensibly. And uh, they'd just sit at the top of the stairs and we were sort of, uh, are you two putting your 50 pence and I'm going to see these? And they'd sit at the top of the stairs and go, can we just can we just sit here and listen? And we're like, do what you like. So they'd sit at the top step and have a roll up. One of those lads was a lanky, bespectacled streak of piss called Jarvis Cocker. And that's right. that. I sort of knew him a bit, yeah. So you know, on yeah, on we went and eventually we saw the, you know, the piece of paper on the wall and yeah what to describe the audition i mean you look like you, you it was a bit of a put, open door you got in very easily well you you'd like to think so but maybe it wasn't as cut and dried as that yeah saw saw the piece of paper on the wall and literally 
pulp had, had sort of become my favourite band, certainly my favourite local band. And so I saw the piece of paper stuck to the wall and thought, <coughs> that is the job for me. I've been playing in loads of local bands and, you know, I was, you know, I was okay. So I thought, oh, my God, this is my chance. This is the job for me. I must, must get into this. So um, two things I didn't do was, A, I'm pretty certain I didn't write the number. I have no recollection of writing the number down. And worse still, I should have taken the piece of paper off the wall so nobody else got a chance to audition. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> didn't deny, did neither of those things. And even after, so you, so you go away from that, you know, your heart's beating fast and you think, oh, my God, this is the job for me. But that, I don't think I even rang the number up that day. You'd think you'd go home straight away, get the phone box. But maybe, maybe it was raining. Maybe I didn't have 10p for the phone box, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I'd never rang the number. But I did go out that night and I went to the lead night where the actual piece of paper was. And I knew Jarvis say hello to, so I saw Jarvis and said, can I have a go? And he went, yeah, all right, we can have a go. So he said, right, come and meet us up at our house uh, on Sunday afternoon, right home. So I turned up for the, let's say, the audition. <clears throat> and so I walked up the drive with my little, little snare drum in its case, knocks on the door. But just as I'm, my hand's just about to knock on the door, there's this almighty commotion inside, these dogs barking, going absolutely crazy. But I think, oh, well, I'm here now. So knock on the door, door opens a crack. Oh, it's you. Pulls me inside. And this little white bulldog running around the kitchen, going crazy. Another dog on the other through the other door to the rest of the house, equally going crazy. And I'm thinking, what is going on here? Jarvis says, ah, this little white dog has followed me home, can't get rid of it. This is we need to sort this out now. This, to be honest, guys, this should have been a red flag moment. This is not normal. Turn, leave, forget it. So then you think, well, this is fine. These are not conventional people. No, no, we can handle this. So uh, what's the plan, Jarv? Because, um, right, what we'll do is we'll walk around the streets. When the dog stops for a sniff, we'll leg it around the corner and the dog will go the other way. Brilliant. What a plan. Fantastic. So it sets up around, around, the, around the neighbourhood, which is quite a tough, roughy tufty neighbourhood, you know. And so the dog would stop for a sniff and we would leg it around the corner. Now, neither of us are Olympic athletes, even though we're quite young. Lay it around the corner. The dog comes after us thinking, this is a great game. Oh, this is such fun. <laughs> so we walked around for about an hour. We didn't get rid of the dog. Oh, it didn't leave us, let's say. So we thought, well, we've got to get rid of it. So eventually we picked the dog up, put it behind someone's garden fence, and then legged it around the corner. Just to be, just to, as you look back, just seeing this little white dog's head through the, through the gate. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, eyes. Yeah, so we, we finally got rid of the white dog. Gets back to the house uh, about thinking, right, well, we're going to be able to play some music. It's going to be great. This is going to be, yeah, can't, can't fail. Jarvis looks at his watch and goes, mm. I think my grandma's got me tea on now. I can't, we haven't got any time left to play any music. So he's like, this should have been red flag number two. Yeah, yeah. It's not this is not conventional. This is you know, this is not right. So I think we must have made an arrangement to meet a week after. So I did go and play some music eventually. And uh there was never any sort of, oh, you are now in the band. There was never any sort of communication of, of such gravity. It was more a case of, 
okay, well, uh, I think we're having a rehearsal on Thursday. Come along if you want. So I said to Jarvis a couple of months ago, I said, um, you know, you know, when I joined and had that, I'll do, oh, that's where we're gone. Oh, missed you. Sorry. I said, oh, you know, um, you know, I had that audition. Um, he's going, yes. I said, was there, was, was there any other candidates? He sort of looked, <laughs> looked wistfully out the window and sort of went, no. <laughs> you were there. So, default was the main. Well, yeah. so what was the spirit of the group? As well, as well, they always say, isn't it? 80% of success is turning up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. It, it is a huge amount of that. Can you just tell me, I'd be interested, because there aren't many drummers who've written books. Mm. And you've been in and around that group for a long time. What do you think, apart from music, you brought to it? Or, you know, what's the... I mean, finding a drummer, hanging on to a drummer is is clearly a, you know, it's a major thing with most groups, isn't it? Yeah, well, yeah, they, they, they can be, you know, uh, uh, mercurial sort of characters sometimes. But I like to think one of my main uh, traits is perhaps, you know, uh, uh, loyalty. And if a drummer joins his favourite band, you can't really get much better than that in a way, can you? So... I, I, I joined to make sure the 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 uh, drumming seat was mine, and I think with, when when you sort of in a band trying to get some, especially when you've had a sort of a seismic moment where half of the band has, has left, you're looking back for uh, stability again. So yeah. bringing in that sort of stability, and imagine it's like uh, I suppose building a wall. You know, each each segment is like a a block in the wall, and it, as long as it's it's nice and solid. You can stick other stuff on top of it, and it's all going to stick, and it's going to go go along fine. So, so uh, yeah, that kind of thing. And and I'd like to think that after I joined, Pulse Music improved. So yeah, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. Let's let's not be around the bush. You know, success. What was the spirit of the group like? Because I mean, they've been going for seven years and got kind of nowhere at that point, hadn't they? Very so, much, yeah, very much. So, so why did you think that there was a potential in it? Why did you think that, that this was a future? Um. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. 
And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. I was a, a, I was a fan of Pulse Music, which was the, sort of the Freaks area and the It area be, before that. Um, I, I loved the music. I just thought it was so full of uh, melody and drama, you know, coupled with, uh, you know, a frontman that I'd not seen the likes of without being someone in the national consciousness. And so you just thought, this is going to be my certainly best shot at, at getting somewhere. Unfortunately, it t- took yet another seven years after that. Yeah. Um, but in the in the sort of the, the between the demise of the pulp sort of freaks era and this this new pulp that forged, um, there was a bunch of songs that had been written. You know, Jarvis had fallen out of the window, broken off his body, and all this kind of stuff. And he'd been given this uh, very rudimentary Yamaha keyboard to while away the hours as he was recuperating, and he wrote a bunch of songs that were fantastic, and. But a, a, but a much different sort of direction. Uh, unbeknownst to me, that direct direction was Barry White meets the Pet Shop Boys. Now, <laughs> this is another kind of red flag, in, in other words. Yeah. I, you know, I never knew of this option, and I perhaps had never um, signed up for it. However, once you once you was putting your input into the songs, you knew that they were really, really good. Another extension, another version of Pull, but equal. You know, it was equally as good as what you'd heard before, and it was pointing in a new direction, a new direction that certainly was perhaps more pop-based uh, and perhaps could have had a, a wider appeal than perhaps some of the more morose, uh, downbeat, freak stuff. And lo, it kind of worked out that way. Yeah. Eventually. Right. Did you find when you were working on stuff, I always think with with – drummers and rhythm sections that they the, the the key thing you can always do with songs is make them a bit quicker you know oh no, yes my you, forte <laughs> go on no seriously yeah. is that, that must happen a lot of time people turn up with a song and they always want to do it slowly don't they no, Which be, go on uh, uh, and yeah that's what i think uh you know uh drummers can bring to uh, you know, someone brings a kush guitar and goes, oh, "I've got these. I've got a few of these chords." And blah, 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 blah. You know, and yeah, you might think, "Okay, the melody is quite nice, but it's a bit boring." You know, so you know, so going back to the punk rock ethic of sort of the late seventies, it's like, "Okay, that's good, but let's inject a bit of passion here." You know, and really pile in there and get going on it and bump the tempo, make it a bit more exciting and. I think a lot of the time that's what you can do. Yeah, you just sort of say, you know, let's go for this one. There's the permanent tension, it, it, it always seems to be, within a band between the person who's written the song or always wants it to be slower. And the, I mean, yes. Yeah, a lot generally. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, but maybe they're thinking, well, I've got to, I've got to be able to fit all these lyrics into these yes. odd chains. Yes, and yeah. no one's going to slow it down. But I can get crowbar a few more in there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you're thinking, no, we want to get excitement going, make it exciting. And I think 
injecting a bit of tempo makes things a, that bit more exciting. So you have a, you have a great theory. Uh, your your uncle, very impressively, is the great yeah. Gordon was great Gordon Banks, and uh, you had a theory that you um, that, that that which you tried out on him that goalkeepers and uh, drummers have a lot in common. Explain yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Because I was thought, you know, and I did did uh, expound this to Gordon, um, and he was very much in agreement that obviously we're both. Generally at the back, let's say. Yes, so, you can yeah. see you get a different well, view of things. So yeah, yeah. Well, at the back, you, you've seen, you, you are seeing safe pair of hands. Everything unfold in front of you, but you're kind of stuck to your stuck to your position. You're not like you belt out round the front, and obviously the drums and goalkeepers are seen as you know maybe a little bit, a little bit strange sometimes, you know, a bit out there. And you're doing a unique job within the organisation, within the team, and and so there's a little bit removed from the other guys uh, uh, around you, and also uh, which I enjoyed explaining to Gordon was that if the drummer or the goalkeeper cocks it up, everybody knows about it. That's true. I'm so exposed. Because you're so exposed, you know, if the you know, goalie drops the cross in the you yeah. know, his feet and he pops it in, he's like, oh, God, you know. And similarly, drummers, you're, you're exposed, you know, because you're right, right up there driving the song. If, you know, if you stop and everyone keeps going when it's not supposed to stop, then, you know, everyone's looking, you're looking around at you and sort of uh, the raised eyebrows of, uh, of disdain are happening. <laughs> it's also, you know, again, it's, I always feel the drummer is the most difficult person to replace. And they, uh, yeah. they never, never do replace them, it seems to me. Well, uh, I think you can, uh, similarly with, 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 with goalkeepers, if, if you've got a decent drummer in the band who's doing, doing the job, it, it, they are difficult to replace because the confidence, I think, that you can provide can spread throughout yes. the organisation in front yeah. You know, uh, you, you know, you might have the greatest team, you know, on God's earth. But if your goalie's a bit rubbish, their whole team suffers. It's gonna, it's yeah. gonna, it's gonna kind of fall apart, and it's that that that, that is gonna sort of infect the team. And similarly with the drummer, I think uh, the rest of the band have got to have got to feel that they know that this person behind them is gonna really drive the stuff along, and they know that. You know, it's not going to fall off his drum stool halfway through the the song and you know collapse in a heap or kick his drums down the stage and storm off in a huff, which is you know suboptimal. <laughs> you know, you know they, they, they can rely on that person behind them to to keep it rock solid. You know. Do you think, in terms of in terms of the book, um, do you think you, there, there was a virtue in the fact that lots of things happen for pulp quite late on, and so. Is it gone? Well, it, it was, you know, if you set out a plan for a band, you would not have them, you would not join them, and then you have seven years of nothing but, you know, angst. You know, the idea of joining a band is, you, you know, you join a band, write a bunch of songs with your mates, go out and play uh, some fantastic concerts, and then it's, you know, it's limousines and dancing girls for the rest of rest of time. <laughs> That's the plan. Unfortunately for Paul, it didn't really work out that way. You join your favourite band, and then nothing happens for years and years, and uh, it's it's difficult, you know. But uh, we we stuck to it with sheer bloody mindedness, and uh, and hope that the uh, spotlight of interest would 
move into our direction, you know? I thought there's another really poignant moment when um, common people, all brilliant description of, of you realising you're onto something special there and everybody in the studio just standing oh. around and just watching this thing emerge. But common people's number two record. And you say that you're simultaneously thrilled to have a number two record and simultaneously <laughs> gutted that it's not yes. a number one record. Yeah, I thought exactly. that just summed up what it must be like. Pop music is, you're never satisfied, are you? No, no, because... You know, getting to the heights of, you know, let's let's say the top. I don't mean you personally. I mean pe people generally, pop musicians yeah, generally. You never yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's the, I suppose the human nature. Or the yeah, you always want something that's that's just out, slightly out of reach. So um, you know, just even if Pulp got into the sort of top ten, once we've been on top of the pops, you think, ah, right, we can call ourselves pop stars now. And then you always want to get that little bit higher up the charts and all that kind of stuff. Sort of the uh, uh, competitive nature of, of listings, I guess. And so, yeah, you're there at a miming on a wet back of a lorry in Birmingham, thinking, you know, you're similarly you know, elated that you're at number two in the charts. This is yeah. incredible. You know, it's taken so long to get here. We've gone through such traumas. We're at number two. So why are Robson and Jerome still at bloody number one? <laughs> it was Robson. That was that who it was. Oh, oh, I'm that hurts. Record. Of all the people to lose that. That hurts. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so that, you know, it, it's, it kind of sums up the, you know, the yin and yang of, of you know, Pulp's existence, that, you know, great euphoria with a tang of disappointment. <laughs> I was there was a picture of a pulp and the you toured uh, you finished the tour quite recently didn't you oh. and uh, there was a picture on social media I was very taken with of the I think probably last night of the tour the whole lineup of the the pulp yeah. kind of touring party and there's a lot of people isn't it tell me about it yeah yeah, it was a hell of a lot of people. I mean, how many people is it? You know, and I mean, Pulp are a successful group, but yeah, you know, they're not the Rolling Stones. But but it's just yeah, you, you grow a lot of people, don't you? Yeah, yeah sixty odd or something like that. Is that what it was? Something like that. Yeah, I mean, it takes a lot of stuff being put in boxes and things clipped together to put on a put on a you know a huge. Visual and musical extravaganza. Because it's like, it's like a big West End show nowadays, isn't it? They all, you... Yeah, they, they are. I think, you know, people complain about um, ticket prices. And you can possibly rightly say that, in you know, the sort of inflation of ticket prices maybe has got a bit out of hand. But then at the same time... But you can see what they've got to uh, yeah, that's, that's sponsor. Why, that's bloody why yeah. so much, because you've got all these people, you know, video screens and people making making the visuals and the music all linked together. It's, you know, it's not, you know, one bloke pressing a button, you know, at the start. Yeah, and so many of the people in that picture would be travelling with the band too, wouldn't they? So yeah, yeah. There's all hotel that, rooms yeah. and transport and all that. Yeah, yeah. It, all, it all adds up. And, uh, you know, and I think people have, uh, have certainly become used to going to, if they, they're paying their 80 quid a ticket, they want to be dazzled by the music, the sound quality, the visuals, to make it an, an all-encompassing uh, joyous occasion. Yeah, I think we we certainly success are successful in doing that. Um, and yeah, it doesn't come cheap. That's the thing. Right, right. 
when you when you first got the success, you kind of felt that the rest of the group suddenly became kind of second division, and that it was all about Jarvis, and Jarvis was doing all the interviews. But you kind of accepted that, didn't you? Because I mean, he was just such a good promoter. He'd be on, you know, yeah. quiz programs, and 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 then there's the amazing description of the. Um, the Brit Awards moment, the Michael Jackson moment. Yeah. You know? I thought yeah. that was really interesting because you, you gave the impression it was very good for the band, but possibly not so good for him. It was actually made uh, life very I difficult think, for him. I think very much so. I mean, um, yeah, we always knew that, uh, you know, we'd got this incredible uh, front person in the band. And uh, part of the, I suppose, part of the way of you sticking around for so long was that uh, we need <clears throat> we need the band to get exposure and having this, Amazing frontman is going to be one of the, the best ways of doing it. And, you know, give people the chance to see Paul and get exposure. And gradually we got there. Unfortunately, with the I suppose with the Brit Awards, is it kind of got a bit too much exposure in a way. And, and uh, you know, we, we'll all have to blame uh, Candida Doyle really for it, rather than Jarvis, because, you know, we'd, we'd let's, Let's let's be true. We'd, we'd seen Michael Jackson uh, doing his uh, sound check, etc., in his run through, and we were just like, "What is this rubbish? What is this overblown, ridiculous? Save the world with and raggedy children through the power of a <laughs> and all this kind of stuff." So it comes the actual the actual evening. We'd done our bit, and we we're sat at this this table um, very close to the bit where you walk onto the stage. And uh, Candidor was there egging Jarvis on. A little bit of Brit's red wine may have been consumed, let's admit it. And so she was egging him on, sort of saying, you'll never do anything, you just all talk, blah, blah, blah. And next minute, he's up and he's across the gangplank onto the stage, running around and all that. And we were basically stood on stood on chairs, whooping and hollering. It was just such a fantastic moment. Obviously, comes back a little bit out of breath. It's still no Olympic athlete. And, uh, <laughs> and so everyone slapped me back there. Oh, that was that was a mar- that was marvelous. You know, you know, pricking the bubble of this you know, preposterous thing that's going on. But then, of course, you know, the, we retreat to dressing rooms a little bit more red wine, and then uh, you get the message that oh, mix lot aren't very happy. They're they're not happy bunnies up there. And then, of course, the SH1T does hit the fan. You've got the police coming in. <laughs> all this Bob Mortimer offering his uh, his legal, legal services. But let's face it, he'd had quite a bit of red wine, so I'm not sure his <laughs> legal brain would have been as sharp as perhaps you would have wanted in this moment. But the, I think the, the fallout from it, obviously all the all the tabloid press and all this kind of thing, I think that, uh, yeah, it was great for the band. It really propelled the band into the national consciousness. But then, you know, it, it affected Jarvis maybe in the way that he was going from the observer to being the observee. And I don't yeah. think that really sat very well with him. You know, you've wanted to be sort of uh, a, you know, a pop star for a, for a lot of your adult life, and all of a sudden you are. You are, yes. Oh, yeah. It's not quite as gilded beauty beauty palace as I was expecting. It's a bit of a pain in the arse. Go, <laughs> go for a bottle of milk and you've got people, you know, wanting autograph photographs and hanging on your every word all that time, I mean, you just kind of want to get a pint of milk and go back and have a cup of tea. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I think it did change change things somewhat. 
And I suppose that's the beauty of being the drummer, isn't it? And, and exactly. You, get, you can go to the parties and wander out and no one gives a fig. No, you can go to Waitrose <laughs> and be undisturbed. Pretty much so, yeah. yeah. So so going back to the question asked, Mark asked uh, at the beginning, you know, it's been very well received. Were you were you giving it to fellow band members to read while you were working on it? Or? Good, good God, no. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, um, I because I want Jarvis to uh, uh, write a little little sort of sentence as the sort of the, the promo push. So I sent him a few uh, a, a few chapters, uh, but the rest of the band, I you know, I was kind of waiting till it was all done and ready, and they and then they got a, a finished copy. But I think I didn't want to do that because basically it's it's my memories. Well, this is it. That's what I was going to yeah. say. And because- it- yeah, if, you, if you're doling out um, you know, chapters, or what do you think to that? And they'll go, oh, oh that never happened like that. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of going, in my mind, that's how it how it happened. So, yeah, well, you write your book. You tell your version. Well, they were, exactly. Mark, Mark and I, were, I think we were only talking about this the other day. You know, Paul McCartney famously said, there are a million stories about the Beatles, and they're all true. And that's, <laughs> well, yeah. It's kind of true, you know, yeah. because... Because all people will remember or will have created in the memory will be the what they what they saw, what and they were they're retained. probably right. And you may they're not remember right. it. But the, yeah. You may not. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, um uh, uh Richard Hawley just lives up the up the road from me. And uh, we often meet up for a for a cerveza or two. And um <laughs> it's always always saying, Oh, you remember that time? Uh, so and so, and we did this, and now I'm like I'm going, no. No, not a Scooby-Doo whatsoever. I mean, oh, you must remember, it's amazing. I said, no, but do you remember this time when we went there and that thing happened? It'd be like, no. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, how the mind works, whether it's, you know, something that just kind of calls to you and you lay down some rock-solid memories, I don't know. But I think that's the reason why you look back at the all these things that happened with Paul and you sort of think, did that really happen? Was that you know? It seems, it seems like a, it seemed like a, a strange fever dream that he did all these crazy things and daft stuff. And so, before you lose your marbles, maybe the best thing to do is to write it all down. And you have done, yes. And there, and there it is. And it's very good. It's very Thank good. You. It's out there now. So it it's out there from punk to punk by yeah. Nick Nick Banks. Nick, thanks for talking. Thanks, and, thanks and very also, much. And also, chaps, just to finish off, you've spotted the world's first unique feature uh, ensconced therein with the book, because obviously each chapter begins with uh, a QR code, which you can access with it by your smart device. Yeah, and you can go to uh, additional content and playlists that kind of should be uh, relevant to each chapter. Bonus tracks. All that kind of stuff. And I think that's a world's first in a rock biography. You yeah, tell probably it different. Is. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.